Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. When I look out at, at these chairs and the students sitting in them, I don't just see 15, 16, 17, and 18 year olds. I see men and women 10, 15 years down the road who are married, have kids, have a mortgage, or working hard wherever God's placed them. And when I'm able to take a bigger view of what God's doing here in our student ministry, when, he's, when, I, when I look at them the way he sees them, it encourages me to speak words of grace and truth that they're gonna need not just tomorrow, but, but 10, 20 years down the road if they're gonna be walking closely with God. I think for me, the thing that's changed me most about being a REACH leader is just understanding how much impact an adult can have on a kid's life. Looking back when I was in the youth group, things that adults said to me that have really stuck out to me, I've asked them about, and they haven't even remembered saying those things. But to me, it was something that was super important and gives me a lot of perspective looking back on it, knowing that the littlest things you say to someone, something you don't think is gonna be a big deal to that person, could make a major impact on their life. One of the things that we love to see in RISE is the students' commitment to service and their heart for the gospel. Over the past three years, the students have raised money and built a well in Nepal. They've sponsored a young girl in India to provide her with textbooks and clothes for school. And this year, we've raised over $500 to give shoes to orphans in Uganda. Something uh, awesome that I've learned during the past year is how we can like lead courageously. So my friends, you know, they're not Christians, so I can set a good example for them and to show them the right thing to do. I really love the sense of community that's up in reach, uh, and I can honestly say that my best and closest friends are up in the attic. I um, love coming to Rise because it's just, it's such a happy place. You just go in there and it's like, you, it makes your week better. One of the biggest ways that REACH has changed me is that it's given me the opportunity to be more outspoken about my faith, knowing that there's individuals behind me who are there to guide me and stick with me through my journey in high school. I think that my favorite part is just being able to be bombarded by God's truth and His love in a building full of people who are there to bombard you with God's truth and God's love. As my own kids have gone through the youth group, through REACH and RISE and everything, um, they, uh, my older three have all come to know the Lord while going through this youth group. It's been a phenomenal thing to watch the changes in my own kids' hearts and how they care for others and then that effect just has just trickled down through our family until, you know, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch these changes take place. I, uh, I love this church, and I am especially um, pleased with what happens in our uh, youth ministry, the junior high and senior high. It's, it's called Rise and Reach, and I think um, I'm especially pleased, not because it's any different than the other uh, ministries that we have for us, but I think for me, that's junior highs when I, I jumped the tracks, and it, it led to really um, 
dangerous things for my body and soul. And I just think, wow, what would it have been like, you know, to be raising money for a, uh, for a well in, in Asia instead of throwing rocks at cars? I mean, there's, there's a huge difference between their experience and my experience. And I wonder where I'd be if I, if I wouldn't have done some of those things and what experiences I would have had. And then, and then the other thing is, is for everyone else, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a parent as well. You know, it's a natural thing for, for students that age to turn their backs on their parents and look for other places to find wisdom and purpose in life. And to have people like Jeremiah and Kevin to be serving God here is, is honestly a gift from God. This is a very special season in our church's history to have these two men working uh, with us, training volunteers to speak uh, in this in the, kind of in a desert of lies that we're surrounded by. There's this oasis of truth that uh, is managed by our, our student ministry. So I'm grateful for that. It, at Grace, we're doing a thing right now called Real Lives, Real Change, and it's just about the expanding ministries here at Grace, and we're trying to do what the Bible says when it comes to that. What do you do when ministries are expanding? If you look in the Older Testament and the New, Test- New Testament, it says that, uh, God has worked out a, a way so that people uh, are pulled towards him and they're pulled towards each other so that they can become dependent upon God and then interdependent with each other. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're asking everybody to jump in and, and be part of a family so you can um, ask God to see what you can contribute towards a, a building that's called Live Oak Building. And next week, we're going to all have an opportunity to do that. We'll have, uh, Ray's going to tell you about it more in just a few minutes, but um, we'll have a, an opportunity. Everybody, because of the way we've worked this card, everybody, regardless of your financial situation, will be able to fill this card out and bring it forward next week as we kind of have a worship service that's oriented towards the way they've done it um, centuries ago about, about expanding ministries and what God does in people's lives. We're calling it Real Live, Real Change because that's the story of our church, and, we, and, we, and I, wanna, I want to introduce you to someone today. I, I think I've been advertising about for this for two or three weeks now. I'm very excited about our learning time today. I want to introduce you to a person that had Real Life, Real Change, and um, it, it, is, it is not in isolation. This is Jacob. It's in the book of Genesis chapter 25, and he's one of the right, forefathers of the faith. He's the grandson of Abraham, the father of Israel. And, and I don't want you to see this uh, as separate or just a historical event because I don't think that's the way it's written. I think he is supposed to be a template for the rest of us. I think this is the way everyone is supposed to have some kind of experience like Jacob has here in this story because this story tells what it's like to, to have an intimate encounter with God that absolutely causes a real life to have real change. Now, in the story of Jacob, you actually have to start in Genesis chapter 25 because it talks about even how he's born. And, and before he has a single meal with his mother, okay, it says in chapter 25, verse 21, it starts before he was even conceived. Verse 21 says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord, this is, that's his father, Isaac, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And the, there was two. There were twins in there. And the babies jostled within her. And she said, what is happening to me? And so she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. There are two peoples from within you that will be separated. One will uh, be stronger than the other, but the older will serve the younger. Aha. Okay. Verse 24. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one came out was red, and his whole body was hairy like a garment, and they named him Esau. Esau is, means red. 
And after this, his brother came out, right after this, his brother came out, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so they named him, they named him Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber. So the firstborn is Esau, and literally as he is leaving the birth canal, his younger brother has grabbed his ankle because they've been wrestling, fighting in their mother's womb. That's why Jacob is called Jacob. It means heel grabber. It means wrestler. It means fighter. And figuratively, those words mean more than that in this language. It means conniver. It means con man. It means liar, deceiver, manipulator. And the, the writer of, of this story wants us to understand that this is the way he, that he is made. This is, the, this is the passion that he's bent away from God. And every one of us have at least one of those. And as parents, you should know what your child has. And this passion will be endured until you see his face. It does not go away. It needs to be conquered by God. And so some of us, right, can be lazy or prone towards fear or prone towards fashion, you know, vanity, uh, lust, ambition, perfectionism, those sorts of things. And, th- and your mom or dad, if they were watching you when you were very young, they would tell stories of you having those inclinations of anger or whatever it might be. And this is what you're going to carry into life. But this is not, that is not um, the end of the descriptions for Jacob. It's just the beginning. Because if you keep reading, just even the next verse, 27, it says this. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau. But Rebekah, she loved Jacob. Perfect. Now the parents are choosing sides, and they're choosing their favorites based on, of course, their bents and their inclinations. And so it says first that Isaac, the father, loves Esau the best because you'll read in the Bible, you'll, you'll find that Isaac is a, ver- a person that loves to eat. He's a very passionate person that's somewhat lazy, and he loves the way his, his son goes out and hunts and barbecues. And um, again, these are the patriarchs, so they're, they're church-going types, and so he goes to the men's fraternity group and goes to the quest and brags about, uh, you know, how good the cooking is around his house. He talks about big game hunting with his son. He talks about, I don't know, uh, tent building. But he doesn't talk much about God. His wife, Rebecca, is known for being manipulative. She's, you know, she's not angry. She doesn't fight. She connives. She lies. And she gets whatever she wants. She goes to women's Bible study, and she brags about how she runs the house and pushes Isaac around, and he doesn't even know it I'm that good. And she likes Jacob and is going to teach Jacob a few things as well. They are both, it's a marriage that's working for both of them because they both get what they want. Isaac's getting fed. Uh, Rebecca's ruling the house. There's no story of change in these two people's lives in the Bible. They get everything they want. There is no stories of supernatural experiences with God. They're getting along. And they're, but the point that I'm trying to bring to, to your attention right now, I'm, I'm doing a rather uh, a long introduction to get to the climax of the life of Jacob. I'm trying to get to as little as possible so that you understand the context of that. And here's what I want you to hear, that the way this man is made, Jacob, is by definition he is a liar, he's a huckster, 
He's a trickster. He's a conniver. He's a manipulator. And then he's raised by a woman that is showing him the way. She is, she is fueling and then fanning the flame of the way that he's bent away from God. And what are we all playing for in the family? We're playing for the blessing. That's the trophy, the blessing from God. The, from, it's going to be coming from Isaac, the father. And whoever gets that blessing wins. It is game day on Genesis chapter 27. I'll just tell you the story. Isaac thinks he's going to die. He's getting old and he's nearly blind, and he wants to give the blessing to the older son, regardless of what his wife might have heard in a dream. And he wants to give it to the older son. What would normally be a very public event, he's going to have it private. And he, so, so he says to Esau, Esau, I want you to go cook some wild game. Let's do this right and cook this barbecue, and when you come back, I'll, I'll give you the blessing. Now, while he's away, the wife overhears, Rebecca overhears, and so she does this. She dresses up Jacob the younger, to look and feel and smell and taste like the older. She lies to her husband through her son. And so he comes into the tent, and he's covered in fur, and he smells like wild game, and he's bringing the barbecue and says, Dad, I'm ready for that blessing. And he says, what, uh, uh, what is your name? It's important. What is your name? And he says, Jacob says, my name is Esau. I, I, you don't sound like Esau. Yeah. But I feel like him, I smell like him, and this barbecue sure tastes like it. Now give me that blessing. Isaac, oh, okay, it, you're right. It seems that way. So he gives him that blessing, and he gets the blessing of the older brother. He gets the trophy, and everybody, I want you to know, everybody gets what they deserve in this story. Okay. Isaac, uh, he gets two meals out of it, and that's all he really cares about. If you read his stories, it's all about laying around and eating. Rebecca, she gets her son to get blessed, and she'll never see him again. There's a consequence. Because, because Jacob has to run for his life. Because Esau is left screaming once again with regret and remorse that he's been lied to and had his blessing stolen. And the last thing that we hear from Esau in this story is this promise, that the first chance I get... I'm going to kill Jacob, I swear to God. The first chance I get, I'm going to kill Jacob, I swear to God. And that's how that story ends. And you would think that there'd be kind of a pregnant pause here, and there actually is, for Jacob to wonder as he's running away from his family, never to see his mom ever again. Maybe my passions and my bent are beginning to define me. And maybe they're taking me to a course where I shouldn't go. Maybe I've jumped the tracks that the God, that the God of the universe has, la has laid for me. Eh, or maybe not. Chapters 28 through 31 are 20 years of a harvest that Jacob planted. Uh, Rebecca, his mom, said, look, here's what I need you to do because your brother does want to kill you. I want you to go to my brother's house, Uncle Laban. He'll teach you some things, and maybe you'll find a wife. He has two daughters. He does do that. Jacob does do that. He goes to Laban, and Laban does teach him a few things. Because what Rebecca knew as a schoolgirl in the, in, in the academy of manipulation and treachery, her brother Laban, he wrote the textbook. He was masterful. 
He knew how to get what he wanted the way he wanted, and you didn't know it happened until it was too late. And he had two, let me give you just a story because I want you to see that God the whole time was pursuing Jacob in this. Laban had two daughters, and Isaac or Jacob is looking for a wife. And so he, he sees these two daughters, and he loves the younger. But Laban, Uncle Laban wants him to marry the older. That's okay, whatever. I want the younger. Uh, I want you to marry the No, listen to me. I want the younger. Okay, okay, you can marry the younger. And so Laban, you know, provides, as the father of the bride, provides this extravagant wedding where he dresses up the older to look like the younger, probably a night wedding with veils everywhere. They swear to God and make their pledges to be married till death do the part. Isaac, or I'm sorry, Jacob doesn't know he's married the wrong girl until the next morning. I mean, who in the world would lie to their relative disguising one member of the family for the other member of the family? So point is, Jacob is finding himself screaming at the sky much like his brother Esau did when his birthright was stolen. You know, when you plant a single seed, you, you grow a vine full of that seed. And this is the harvest. And this is a time, this is a time when you, when you are the, on the receiving end of the bent your bent that you've been so generously giving to other people, it's a sign that God is tired of you running and it is time to deal with this. It is time to actually have a conversation with God because he's on to you. And usually, right, what you're experiencing in your, in your, your, your place of, you know, of bottoming out is much like the road that you hoed to get there. So anyway, he realizes after all that's going on, this is 20 years now, that this is Jacob. He's realizing because so many people hate him in Laban's family and he gets a word from God that it's time to leave. And so instead of doing the right thing and saying to his uncle, it's time for me to leave, he waits for Laban to be out on maneuvers with his ranch far away, hurting, and he leaves in the middle of the night. Well, Laban finds out, catches him, and the last real conversation that Jacob has with his uncle Laban goes like this. It's called the covenant at Mizpah. It's at a place called Mizpah. And they both look at each other and they say this. There's a line in the sand. If you come on my side of the, sand, of the line for the rest of my life, I'll kill you. I swear to God. And Laban said, deal. You come on my side of this line for the rest of your life, I'll kill you. I swear to God. And that's the Mizpah covenant. So now Jacob has to leave or he'll be killed. And he's going back home because it's the only place he can go. And there's a brother waiting for him. And the last thing his brother said, first chance I get, I'll kill him. I swear to God. He is between a rock and a hard place. He is in a vice. And he built both sides of the vice. And now it's squeezing in on him. And where we pick up the story now in chapter 32 is the night before he meets his brother Esau. One of his scouts has found out that Esau is coming his way. He'll be meeting him tomorrow afternoon with 400 of his marine friends. Hugs all around. <laughs> chapter 32, verse 22. This is the night before the afternoon he's going to meet Esau. 
and his 400 friends. <clears throat> now, he's, he's making a plan. He always has a plan. Now, he, he arose that same night, and he took his two wives and the two maids and the 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. And he took them and sent them across the stream. And then he, sent a, he, and then he went across the stream that he had gone. Okay? So this is his plan. He's going to put everybody off on the other side of the stream of the Jabbok River. And then verse 24, and, and then Jacob was alone. <laughs> it's good to be alone. If only he were helpless, he'd be perfect for change. And a man, an angel of God, actually, he's the angel of the Lord, wrestled with him until daybreak. So he's got this perfect plan, and there's something that's disrupted the plan. This, it says he was wrestling. This, there's a, it's a much more violent word. He's being mugged. This is a fight to death is what it appears to be. And it's interesting that the word they're using there is the word Jacob, kind of. It rhymes with Jacob. And so the author wants us to see the pun and the lesson. The pun is Jacob, Jacob was out Jacobed at the Jabbok. All the words rhyme. Jacob was Jacobed at the Jabbok. Why so much Jacob going around? Because Jacob means fight. It means wrestle. It means ankle, ankle grabber. It means you've got all your plans laid out, and you're always going to have the upper hand. You're always going to take advantage. You're looking for a maneuver. You're always obtaining or attaining. It's always about you getting whatever you want at any cost to anyone else. And you've made all these lavish plans to put your wives over here and your kids over there and sending people in advance. Did you plan on this happening? that you'd be fighting for your life tonight on the shores of the fight river. You haven't, have you? You didn't plan on that, did you? Because God is tired of you running. And, and you can, the, the point is that there's a conversation happening here about the nature of Jacob. What has been your, your fighting all of your life, Jacob, at the Jabbok? Well, I've always had to fight for every single thing I've ever wanted. Anything I wanted, I had to get on my own. And it's always been about someone like Esau or, or Isaac not liking me or respecting me or approving of me or my mother. And, and God is coming in and saying, it's not about that, Jacob. You're fighting me. This is the angel of God. This is God in skin. And he's saying, your fight has always been with me. Your consequences that you've hated and distrusted have been about me causing these things to happen in your life because you're the choices that you make. You have been resisting me. You have been manipulating. You've been trying to manipulate me. This has been a fight with God. And all, by the way, this is, again, this is what our life is like with God. When we hate our life, we hate the circumstances that we're in, especially when we've provided most of the circumstances. We're really shaking our fists at God. <laughs> what, road rage, it's about the driver in front of you? Really? No, it's not. It's not about Esau. It's not about Isaac. It's not about your mother. It's not about your uncle Laban. It is about you wanting, this is God speaking to, to Jacob. It is about you wanting to be Lord of your life. It is about you wanting to be your own savior. It is about you being the center of your world. The operating system of your soul is to connive and to lie and to cheat and to steal to get whatever you desire. And then when you get it, it's never enough. 
You think the climax of your life is tomorrow when you meet your brother Esau. You didn't plan on the climax of your life being tonight when you wrestle me, and we're going to wrestle this thing out. Jacob getting Jacobed at the Jabbok. Genesis 32, verse 25, and then God saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob. He touched his socket in his thigh, and the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while they wrestled with him. The word touch there is a very intentional word because, that, that, that means the slightest and the merest contact with someone that he tapped him. He just tapped him. I don't want to go into too much anatomy. I don't know that much about anatomy, but I know the various joints in your bodies, the, the strongest load-bearing hip in your body is the ball socket joint right here on your hips, and it is designed to not come apart. I've seen a few times, and you probably have too, somebody that has dislocated their shoulder, and when that happens, it's not a, a load-bearing joint, but when that happens, everything stops. There's a lot of screaming, and then that hurts to scream, and so there's no more movement. It's unimaginable how much a socket coming out must be like and how hard a person has to get hit for that to happen, maybe like getting hit by a car or touched by God. The point is that this fighting all night into the, into the morning sunrise where Jacob might have thought he had an advantage was just a game. It was just to exhaust him. And the moment God was realizing the sun is coming up and Jacob can't afford to see the face of God and, and, and live, he just said, okay, we, gotta, we need to end this with that. And now Jacob is helpless and alone in a life-threatening way. And that combination makes you ripe for change, real change. When you're helpless and alone, you are ripe for change. And so... This is a real encounter with God. That's the point. This is a real encounter with God. Jacob's father and mother, they didn't have stories of encounters with God that he could tell. They could tell. But he knew parents, grandparents' stories. He'd heard stories of visitation to Abraham and Sarah and how they heard from him in dreams and then dined with him before they went and judged Sodom and Gomorrah and they communed with God and he maybe wanted something like that but this is not what he had in mind this is it this is the real thing i have a great quote it might be from tim keller says this god becomes out of love the enemy of our old self i will say that again god becomes out of love the enemy of our old self the self that was built not upon God and brings you into this weakness so that you wake up and begin to grow a new self. God sometimes becomes in love to invade our old self and says, no more. You've heard enough people and you're destroying your soul and you and I, we don't have anything. So in verse 26, there's the blessing. And then, and then when the angel, okay, said, okay, let me go, for it's dawn that's coming. And then, and then Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So somehow Jacob, in his excruciating pain, okay, in Hosea chapter 12, it says that he is weeping. He is weeping during this event, obviously. He's weeping during this event. 
hip dislocated. He's holding on to everything he can like a man drowning, holding on to a lifeline. And God says, I've, I have to leave for your sake. I think that's what it means. And dawn's coming. And Jacob says, you have to bless me. I'm not going to let go. I, I can't go anywhere else. I, I want you. I want you. I don't want the blessings anymore. I don't want the wife. I don't want the honor. I don't want, I, I want you. And God's saying, you know, in this story, he's saying, if you want the blessing, I'm going to have to change you. I, mean, I, have to, I have to, we have to add a new operating system. We have to add a new center for you. You're going to have to have a real change of who you are and your very nature. You've got to wake up to who you are and how you're acting out and how much that has to be altered by a miraculous intervention in your life. Now, Jonathan Edwards, when he was writing, and, he, and it was wrecking his brain between nominal Christianity and, and the real thing, right? The, the kind of the mere spectators and the ones that were experiencing the joy of Christ. And, and this, this is what he comes to this conclusion, that the difference is the people who experience this Jacob event and the people that just use God. There are, there are people that are using God to get blessings, and there are people that are just wanting to be blessed by God. God is the blessing. And that's what's happening here. God is saying to him, I am, I am the purpose behind the purpose that you were seeking in life. I am the honor that's behind the honor that you were trying to get from your father. I am the beauty that is behind the beauty that you saw in that second, the younger daughter. I am what you've always wanted. You have not settled. Or you, I mean, you should say you have settled for so much less than me. And for you to be, to be blessed, you would have to be radically changed. And so Jacob, Jacob is appealing to that. I want your beauty. I want your honor. Right? I want your blessing. I want your respect. I want to be blessed. I want this. I want you. And so this next question from God is everything. He says, what is your name? In this story, the last time anyone asked this individual what his name was, was his father Isaac. And Jacob said, my name is Esau. So let's see if we can get this right a second time. What is your name? 20 years has gone by. What is your name? My name is Jacob. I am the wrestler, I am the fighter, I'm the scrapper, I'm the heel grabber, I'm the manipulator, I'm the liar, I'm the cheat. I'm the guy who gets whatever he wants at any expense to anyone else. I am he. That is who I am. They named me and I grew into the name. I'm Jacob. Change that. It is all the way in me. And God says, well, we're going to need a new name. And he gives him this blessing. He says, and then so God said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. You will be Israel. For you have fought with God and with men, and you have prevailed. 
Israel means fought and prevailed. You have fought with God and man and have prevailed. I hope your imagination didn't leave you for too long here. His, his hip is out of socket, maybe the most violent thing you can experience in a joint. He's weeping according to Hosea chapter 12. He's clinging to the, I don't know, the ankle of this angel of God. He is begging for a blessing that the blessing would be God, and God says, that's what winning looks like. You have prevailed. How? <laughs> that's, I mean, he's not standing on a podium. He is groveling in the ground. He is one and he has prevailed because he, he has nothing that he wants. He has the thing that he needs. He is being redefined. He does get a new name. He gets to enjoy God. And he gets this radical story. And he, will, he, he has been maimed. He will walk with a limp his whole life. And people will say, what happened to him? Can you imagine being one of his shepherds? Hey, Jacob, don't call me Jacob. Okay. <laughs> Why are you limping? You call me Israel. Okay, boss, I'll call you Israel. Why are you limping? Forever. And he would have to tell you the long story, and it would take a while, but the story would go, I was blessed by God, and I have changed the center of who I am. And the center of who I am is, is I am God's. And now I will not try to manipulate him. I will be used by him. See, we, see, here's the thing with God sometimes, I think, at least in this story, is God sometimes will, in his humility, it's a very odd attribute of a, of a divine creator, but he will, he will stay in the suburbs of our souls. He will be in the periphery. He will be used when we're young. And then there comes a time where he says, I'm going to chase you down and I will hunt you. And we will find our way to the Jabbok River. Did you know all roads lead to the Jabbok? Every, every follower of Christ has an appointment at the Jabbok. The name of the river will rhyme with you, the essence of your soul, and you're going to have to choose one or the other, how you define yourself. And in, and in this case, when he's helpless and alone, it's when God steps into the center and says, look, I'm not going to be, you know, sometimes, for example, we're extremely lonely and we just want a fiancé or something. And so we pray, God, would you find me a fiancé? And he'll do that because he wants what's best for you. And, and, then, and then so when you get your fiancé, what do you do? You don't need him anymore. He was a dating service to you. Or you lose your fiancé and so you're back online with him. Or you want to be prosperous or you want great employment. And sometimes he'll do that for you because he wants what's best for you. And then if he's a Band-Aid and you tear him off, he says... I'm, I'm the ruler of the universe. I don't play this part for long. It's time for us to meet at the Javik. And we're going to wrestle until you win. And winning means you don't care about anything else. Winning, care, winning means that you care about only me being no longer in the suburbs, no longer a, an additive, but being how you define yourself. And people, people, people allow strange things to define them. It, you know, it's the way I was made. You should ask my mom and dad. They'll tell you this goes back a long way, okay? That's important, absolutely. But you've, choose, you've chosen to let it define you. Well, you should meet my parents, okay? I could tell you stories. Okay, that's fine. I, I agree. That's influential. 
in some of the choices you make, but you've chosen to let that define you. I had an event in my life, and I need to tell you about this event because what the event has defined you. That's your choice. Or successes. You should see what I've done or where I've been and the initials behind my name. That's fine. You could choose any one for these, or you can choose all of them combined. That's fine. But it just means you haven't gotten to the Jabbok River yet because there's this other alternative out there. And the other alternative is this, that you go and you stay at that river all by yourself and you sit there because your mate can't help you because it's not her fight or his fight. It is your fight. And you fight with God and you figure out that all this anxiety, all this fear, all this anger, all the swirling things in your life have really been about God all along. And will you just fight And don't leave until you're done. Let him touch you. It'll hurt. You'll need it. And then he'll rename you. And then you will define yourself the way God defines you. And let me tell you what happens next. You're going to want to be with people that support that definition. You're going to lose a lot of friends. Because, because birds of a feather, they flock together. They do. Because that way they don't feel guilty about their crimes. And so haters hang around with haters. And they, the complainers hang around with complainers. And so that they can complain and nobody says, hey, wait a minute. What about? And so you'll have to, I don't know whether it's in the church or not. It doesn't matter. Haters, find haters here. You'll, you'll say, look, God has redefined me. He has renamed me. He has chosen to call me his child. And that's what I'm holding on to. Like we sang, that wisdom is true. And, and, and I will now gravitate towards people that support that view, that define me the way God has shown himself to define me, that have seen in my life real change. Real change. This story is about a real life and real change. And every one of us has this, sometimes multiple times. Now listen, because this is true. This is the way the real world works. That from this moment in time, Jacob, getting Jacobed at the Jabbok, no one will talk about the descendants of Jacob again. They will be called the children of Israel. Because that's what God said. Because that was true. What do you want to do with your pride or vanity or addictions or perfectionism or fears? Do you want to be known for that? No, I don't think you do. This is real change we talk about here. Let the grace of God touch you. Dear Lord Jesus, um, I love what this story tells about you and how you just kept for so many decades hunting this man and allowing him to harvest what he planted so that he might, he might hear your footsteps coming. Guy, God, I know you're doing that in our lives as well. So, God, let us hear them. Let us connect the dots between how we lose friends or jobs or whatever it might be, and they're, they're just banquets of, of consequences. 
of decisions that we've made, Lord, give us a vision for this fight with you that we would find ourselves no longer pitiful or angry about the life that we've experienced, that we would just find our rest in your power and the plan that you allow us to enjoy, the plan that you allow us to experience, the the tears that we have endured, the hip, the limp that we live with. God, I'd ask that you would relentlessly pursue every soul in this room that we might have a story of being changed, a radical story of a miraculous intervention so that we were set free from these things that are powerful, like the way we're bent away from you or the way we've been raised or the experiences we've had, the success. There's a litter box for that. And God, I just want, I want this to be the center You are the blessing. Don't give up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.